A year ago at this time, we were talking about Aaron Rodgers as an MVP candidate. This year, not even a Pro Bowl caliber player. We go through our big season awards with our pal and America's guest, Jason Hershorn. We catch up on the defense of our PFWA ballots. We continue our two-part series on the best players in the league this year. It all starts right now. You are locked on Packers. I feel like we can run the table. We really do. Your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Rodgers gets out. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Floats it. Your team. Every day. Touchdown! You're locked on Packers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm Peter Bukowski and I cover the Packers for the Leap. A newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. The number one Packers podcast on the internet and the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how. Part two on our show today, Jason Hershorn, America's guest, my co-founder at The Leap, a newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to. Talking defense, talking big awards, and some big picture stuff in the NFL, all rookie teams, stuff like that. So having a lot of fun. Here's part two before we get to that. Today's episode brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is my go-to snack because I'm the dad of a toddler. I'm running around constantly. I'm trying to get all kinds of stuff done while he's napping or while he's at nursery school. And so I don't always have time to cook. I don't always have time to make myself a, a super healthy snack. So Built Bar makes it easy. I'll just grab one. It tastes better than anything I'm going to make. I'm a pretty good cook, but like Bilt Bar is crazy good. 100% real chocolate. And I love all the puff flavors. Churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond is a banger. And they're all 130 calories, four grams of sugar and 17 grams of protein. And now you don't have to wait on your doorstep for Built to deliver those. You still go to Built.com and get what you need. Or you can go to Sam's Club. You can go to Walmart and pick up a box Today, or when you're just out shopping and need something, hey, I'll grab some built bars. Check it out. You will not regret it. All right, let's go to the defensive side of the ball here. Um, we we you talked about at the top, Aaron Donald, sort of like every year. This this guy is a no doubt guy. Was he on your was he on your ballot? He wasn't this year. And it was it was it was hard for me, right? Like he missed enough time. Like the, I think the argument for not including him is strong just because of frankly, he, he just missed enough time that it wasn't a complete enough sample. But, you know, when he was there, he was still really good. It, it wasn't peak, peak Aaron Donald, which again, it's sort of like the Trent Williams problem only with, with more missed time. But in this particular case, I thought that the other candidates were really strong, both in terms of defensive player of the year. It was, and a, loaded, it was a loaded candidate year at, at interior defensive line too. Yeah. So we talk about players who had complete seasons and had, even if you want to talk about efficiency, Roughly the same level of impact. It, it was hard in this context to include Aaron Donald. It was the first time in a while that he wasn't my choice for defensive player of the year. Dude, let, let's let's not let's let's spoil it. Actually, let's let's get your pick for defensive player of the year because I'm interested. I went with, and this was a surprise for me in the end. Uh, Nick Bosa, because yeah. I usually am not the guy who's like, oh, let's just pick whoever had the most sacks. That's the defensive player of the year because oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes those players don't even sometimes really play a lot of run defense. And Nick Bosa doesn't play as much run defense as some of the other guys. So I think that argument at least exists there. But 
Nick Bosa's impact beyond the sacks, the turnovers that he caused, both in terms of like the strip sacks, the fumble recoveries, the interceptions that are very clearly caused because Nick Bosa was about to destroy a quarterback. When you look at it from that lens, I thought he had the most impactful season of any defender. And if you take him away from that 49ers defense, which was the best overall defensive unit in my view, you know, I don't think it's a bad unit, but I think it goes from being in that top echelon to being very middle of the pack. And that's one player. And if that's the impact you're having, it's really hard to overlook you for this kind of award. So I'm curious, what was your choice? That was, that was my pick too. And, and you know, it was, it was, I, I had a really tough time actually with the edge guys. Um, I, Miles Garrett and Nick Bosa were my, were my top two edge guys, but like I struggled like, okay, that second guys, am I rewarding Micah Parsons for the incredible versatility that he had? Max Crosby never comes off the field. He, I think he played like a thousand snaps this year. So it, that one was that was really hard to try and separate. Okay, what are the what is the value here versus this guy versus the impact that they have? The, I think the on off thing with Nick Bosa is what really sends it home. Plus, mm-hmm. it's the best defense. Like they were, and I think at, the more I thought about it, I was like the only defense in the league I trust is San Francisco, and the reason that I trust them is there's two players. It's Fred Warner and it's Nick Bosa, and then you add in D'Amico Ryan's, and so like I don't know that there's anyone else in the league who can just make you trustworthy simply by existing and that's nick bosa so i i'm with you like it was not even about the sacks for me it was just about the constant impact of the game and who is the guy every week when you line up against them are you most worried about that's he's the guy he's the guy right now and and that's not a it's not a um a knock on anybody else because there's so many really good players right now Mm -hmm. but he, he was he was my guy who were your your edge guys um this season so, and again, it's another area where we have to differentiate between the PFWA and the AP. Yes. So the AP, I think last year we, you and I just decided to do edge because we were annoyed with PFWA. Yeah. Cause the AP does edge defender and interior defensive lineman, which I think is a better way of doing it in the modern NFL. The PFWA, at least for now is still doing defensive end, defensive tackle, and then outside linebacker with no real clarification as to whether like a three, four outside linebacker is an edge is a defensive end or not. Right. So in, in reality, this means that like we get to shove a lot more pass rushers into this conversation between the two. So between defensive end and outside linebacker, I included Nick Bosa, Miles Garrett, and Micah Parsons. Because Micah Parsons is technically a linebacker for yeah. the Cowboys, even though for the most part, his impact is commensurate with those defensive ends we just discussed. I also included for the all NFL team at outside linebacker Hassan Reddick who we're probably not going to end up talking a lot about. And I don't mean you and me alone, like the entire like NFL media, but wasn't just phenomenal this season. Like he has actually sort of become like the modern version of like Jerry Hughes, like kind of an afterthought with his first team shows up at a second team, or in this case now a third team. And it's like, Oh yeah, no, he's just one of the best pass rushers in the league. Like we're just, we just have that now. And he had like a third of the pass rush snaps. Some of his peers did. That's the crazy thing. And he still had a million sacks. So efficient. And because we're able to include him at outside linebacker, I, I decided to do so. So again, if you're talking about the pass rushers on the edge as a whole, that was my group. What about you? Well, so it's interesting because it just sort of broke out like that. It worked out that way to have Nick Bosa, because, you know, Nick Bosa, he's an end. Miles Garrett is an end. Um, and Micah Parsons is an outside linebacker. And so you get to have that. Like I had, I had four edge players that I was just like those four guys with, with Max Crosby uh, Miles Garrett, Nick Bosa, Micah Parsons. I was just like, it's sort of them and everyone else. And and I'll figure out where to slot them because 
I'm annoyed with PFWA. So that was that was how I thought about it. My 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 first two defensive ends were Miles Garrett and Nick Bosa, and then um, th- th- I think that that's I don't know. I, I I didn't see any other any other way that made sense. Even though like outside linebacker, there's there's Matt Judon. You could use. Um, I thought a, a player that did not get nearly enough pub this season, Uchenna and Wosu, had a really nice season. Um, and it was a guy that I think you and I both going back, um, to the, to the draft, um, liked coming out and, and all of a sudden, you know, gets an opportunity to play in Seattle and, and was the only guy really on that team that could rush the passer with any sort of consistency. So, um, that was, that was, I I just realized we didn't ever do interior defenders. Um, I had Chris Jones and Quinn and Williams, who was your, uh, interior guys. Same, same group. Uh, those two were phenomenal. Chris Jones getting to play the full season along the interior again was back to being like all caps. Chris Jones, Quinn Williams really broke broke out this year. Uh, I, I don't know about you. I, I don't think this is like a blip on the radar. Like I think this is the real Quinn Williams. Yeah, and he is going. I was going to ask you if you thought my pick was biased toward the the Packers Jets game. So I'm glad that you you felt the same way. Oh, no, on a per down standpoint, because remember, he's not rushing the passer because of his position all the time. And the pass rushing numbers are phenomenal. And the run defense is also phenomenal. I mean, he's the linchpin of that entire defensive front. They do have other guys there, like uh, Franklin Myers is, is a player that most people don't know, but really does have a significant impact. But it's all about Quentin Williams on that defensive front. Like, he is the Jenga piece for that defense the way that Nick Bosa is for the 49ers. Obviously not an overall as good unit, but Quinn Williams is more or less as good as anybody along the interior, or at least he was this year. Yeah, I, I, I like there were some trade Quinn Williams when he was, um, you know, unhappy with the team a year or two ago. And there was a lot of like, hey, the Packers should consider trading Quinn Williams. And at the time I was sort of like, mm, are we sure he's good? But I, I'm pretty sure he's good. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I, I think it's interesting to I did the show yesterday about lessons that that the Packers can learn from these playoff teams. So my third and fourth interior defenders, Dexter Lawrence and Christian Wilkins, not traditional like Quentin Williams and Chris Jones are, we're going to go get after the passer. We're going to be disruptive. We're going to live in your backfield and you're going to have to account for us on third and eight every time. Dexter Lawrence and Christian Wilkins are not those kinds of players, but they still found ways to be incredibly disruptive. Dexter Lawrence won the game with a pressure against the Vikings on Sunday because Kirk Cousins was not able to get backside where KJ Osborne was breaking open. And I never thought a player like Dexter Lawrence, a nose tackle could be as impactful as he has been this season. I think the same is true for Christian Wilkins who impacts the run game in so many ways. Um, and, and it just like makes plays all over the field in ways that guys, 320 pounds should not be able to make. And it sort of made me, I don't know about rethink, but made me reevaluate um, the the approach to building an interior defensive line. What did you think of of that group? Well, I, I thought very highly of it because Dexter Lawrence was one of my choices for all NFC. And I, if, in coming out of the draft, you and I were pretty much in lockstep on both these guys. Like Wilkins had a little more wiggle, so I, I got that pick a little more, even though I wasn't a huge fan of it at the time. Lawrence, I just thought I was like, cool, you're going to be able to stop the run. You could also get some like seventh round picks who will be able to do the same thing, right. and obviously at a fraction of the cost. And if that's all Lawrence was able to do, that would be that would make sense. But Dexter Lawrence has become so much more. And it's not just what he does individually as a pass rusher, though those numbers are up. It's you can see the amount of attention he immediately takes from multiple offensive linemen in almost every pass rush situation and what it frees up for everybody else on that front. So he's a he's an effective pass rusher, even when he's not touching the quarterback. 
And he's also touching the quarterback more than at least I thought. And I think you thought that he was going to Wilkins was sort of another version of that. I mean, he's a little lighter, but he's still a big, big guy along the interior. And this was the year where he really came into his own. So uh, Christian Wilkins didn't make the cut for all AFC only because both of my all NFL options were from the AFC. AFC yeah. Yeah. So he was in that group as well. And Dexter Lawrence, again, had, had another phenomenal season. So, I don't know if this is like, to your point, something that should make us rethink how those offensive lines are constructed in terms of like resources and assets, or if these individual players just so significantly outperformed what was a reasonable expectation. But if they maintain it, I think we are going to have to revisit those ideas because if you can have a guy who's that big, that impactful against the run and can really set up all of your pass rush. Are there that many more valuable players? The answer is probably no. Well, and especially with as many light boxes as teams want to play now, maybe maybe these big body pass rushers or guys that that give you a little pass rush and can eat up blocks are more valuable than they used to be. This is going to be something that we discuss a lot around draft time because there are two players from Clemson um, who are trench players, one on the edge and one on the interior. And it it's like, I don't know which one is more valuable to Green Bay, a guy who might be able to come in right away and start on your defensive line or someone who's going to be your third Edge rusher, and it's something something that's interesting there. Um, let's talk about corner. Um, I had I went with the rookie Ahmad Gardner, who the Packers saw this season, and then Patrick Sertan. I, I mentioned if I'd have had a second team, Jair Alexander would have been on it. The other guy on the second team, I just want to I just want to mention Tyson Campbell, who we saw play over the weekend, Jacksonville. I, I, like right now, I feel like he's ahead of Eric Stokes, his teammate at Georgia, in development. Even if I thought Stokes was better as a rookie. That's just something to keep an eye on here moving forward. But I think both of those players are really young and promising. What was your corner group? Same guys at the top. Uh, Sauce Gardner is the rare cornerback that entered the NFL fully formed as an all pro. Like it is phenomenal to see this, like for context, like even really good rookie corners, like Jair Alexander was shutting down his side of the Rams offense as a rookie in 2018. And we were falling over ourselves in praise of him and deservedly so. That's not what this was. This was a different level. We very rarely see this out of rookies, and we almost never see this out of uh, rookies who came out of the G5. Like he arrived. I mean, if you go back right. to that Cincinnati Alabama game from the playoff, now I guess two seasons ago, he the Alabama Crimson Tide just were like, nope, we're, we're not even going to try to pass to Ahmad Gardner. And it wasn't like they'd have another good corner on the other side because Kobe Bryant, the other corner Cincinnati had is now starting the NFL too. So they're just like, no, we would rather throw at this future NFL corner than throw at this guy who turns out to be a future NFL All-Pro. And that's with the Alabama receivers. They didn't have just like some guys. They had the best receiver in football. Yeah, so it it was really a preview of what we would see this season from Ahmad Gardner. I thought he wasn't just the the best rookie corner. I thought he was the best overall corner and Patrick Sertan the second. That was also my my all-NFL choice for corner. So I included Jair Alexander in, uh, in the overall consideration. He made all-NFC for me. But there was there was a gap between those top two guys and everybody else. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, let's go to the big awards. We we didn't do linebacker. We didn't do safety. Anything in there that, that, you, that you feel strongly about that we have to hit? I had Bobby Wagner, Fred Warner, Minka Fitzpatrick, Jesse Bates. I had Bobby Wagner and I was surprised that I ended up with I Bobby was too. It was, it was kind of like last year in a way when you and I both entered the process independently. And we're just like, yeah, we've seen a lot of Devondre Campbell 
and he's been awesome, but like, he's probably not actually the best off ball linebacker. It's just, you know, that's just what we've seen the most of. And you review the other options, you know, you, you look at the numbers, you look at some cutups of the players and you're like, no, actually, it's nope, Devontae yeah. Campbell. He, he <laughs> actually exactly had the, the, the best season. And that was the case this year with Bobby Wagner. Like, the problem with Wagner in Seattle, I mean, the problem, again, he was still an effective player throughout his Seattle career, was yeah, speaking the of coverage. Speaking of future Hall of Famers, that guy. Yeah, exactly. The coverage numbers for him at the end had fallen off. Like, that was what made Bobby Wagner so special, is that he could do all those things against the run. He could be an effective pass rusher, and he could take your slot receivers and your tight ends down the seam effectively. There wasn't for a long time anyone else in the NFL who could do that. And at the end, and you know, he's been in the NFL now for I think about a full decade, you expect that to fall off, and it did. And then with the Rams, it, you know, it wasn't like peak, peak Bobby Wagner in that regard, but like a lot of that came back. Like he was really effective covering those guys down the seam and over the middle, and everything else with Wagner was more or less what you'd expect. And in the aggregate, it was the best season for an off ball linebacker. Fred Warner was also in consideration for that. He's in some ways like, a younger Bobby Wagner clone, but Wagner, the original was just a little better this year for me. Yeah. I had, I had those two guys, I think are, are really, you know, um, they're, they're, they're a cut above still. And I, I like I said, shocked by that. All right, let's do the big awards kind of rapid fire here as we, as we finish up. Cause we always run long when, when we do this, Jason, uh, who is your MVP? It was Mahomes. As we discussed earlier, it was his season. It was so much his season that, especially after that first like month and a half, I don't think there was any real valid debate as to who the MVP would be. Like I, I know a lot of Miami fans wanted it to be Tua. A lot of Philly fans wanted it to be Jalen Hurts. There were arguments in Minnesota, not totally invalidly. If Philly had that, gone like 16 and one or something like that, I think that becomes a little bit more. I think that probably would have Jalen captured Hurts. more votes, but I, I don't think it would have been a more valid choice in my view. Not that Jalen Hurts wasn't yep. great this year, but like pa Patrick Mahomes was just so much better. And as I said earlier, like Justin Jefferson, he was never going to win this, but he had as much of an impact as you can have on the game from the receiver position. Uh, I just want to highlight him here, but it was Patrick Mahomes and it was front to back. Like he had to do more and he did. And it was, sort of, you know, the best offense in the NFL in terms of scheme, in terms of effect, like it's, it, it wasn't a hard choice for me. And I don't think it was really in debate for me for like two months. All right, more with Jason Hershorn in just a second before we get there. Today's episode brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. There is so much fun to be had betting on the NFL in the postseason. And I've had some wins, had some losses. I was sweating out my Jaguars money line bet, um, but it came through. And I didn't want to have to sweat out my, my Cowboys to cover the spread bet. But Tom Brady is Tom Brady, and so that's the way that this all goes. That's the fun of it. And Bet Online can get you there. The fastest and easiest way to get all the information you need and to bet on all the sports that you want to bet on. Bet Online, where the game starts. And thanks for making Locked On Packers your first listen. For your second listen, check out Locked On NFL, bringing you the local insights you love, the national spotlight, daily conversations on the biggest NFL stories. Locked On NFL, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. It, it kind of makes you go, I know Aaron Rodgers won the MVP the last two years, but like, was Patrick Mahomes really still the best quarterback during that time? Like, I think he might've been. Yeah. 2021, I think is a really strong argument for that. Like 2020, I, I thought Rodgers was both the most deserving candidate for the MVP and actually the best quarterback in that season. 2021, it was a lot closer. And this year, obviously Mahomes yeah. left everybody else in the dust. So I, I think you're, you have a good point there. Who's your coach of the year? 
it was Kyle Shanahan. And this is a, a, a refrain for me, right? Like I, I'm someone who thinks that Kyle Shanahan is one of the best coaches in the NFL. And I also, when it comes to this award, think that we collectively don't do a good enough job of highlighting the best coaches. We almost always choose the coach that did the best job with like, maybe not the least talent, but like lesser talent. And, you know, there are some good options from that category this year. And I'm that was me. I did that. Him. But Kyle Shanahan kind of also did that too, in a, in a certain way. Like, he is on his third quarterback, who was the last pick in the most recent draft, yeah. and the offense got better with Brock. It's Purdy. wild. It's wild. It's wild. And yeah, Brock Purdy deserves some credit for that too. And, and at some point before we're done, I want to talk about the all rookie quarterback situation because it got gnarly for most of the year. But Kyle Shanahan, while he had the talent, schemed up that talent to perfection. Like Christian McCaffrey was an effective player with Carolina. He became the best version of himself with Kyle Shanahan. George Kittle has for a long time been one of the most versatile tight ends. That's because of Kyle Shanahan. Obviously, what they do with Debo Samuel, with Brandon Ayuk, with Kyle Juszczyk, like all those guys, that's Kyle Shanahan. And that team finished with a phenomenal record. And even though the overall records of that division weren't as great, like it still was for a good chunk of the year, a more competitive division than it now looks. Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers ran away with it. Like at a certain point, you, you I don't think you can ignore this. Like he put together if not his best coaching job, damn close. And I, for, for me, he was not like the the slam dunk. There's no other candidate worthy consideration choice. But for me, he was a pretty confident choice. Okay, I get it. I get it. And, and I, I, I'm finding that I have a hard time to rebut it. But I'll say this. The Giants won nine games with Daniel Jones at quarterback. And speaking of you and me playing, they're playing you and me at receiver. Like Richie James and Darius Slayton and Daniel Bellinger, I was I was joking uh, with with some other media people. Like if if you asked me in whatever it was, week five or, or week six or whenever the Packers played the Giants, who the Giants' tight end was, I would have said, well, it, it used to be Evan Ingram. Now I'm not sure who it is. Like that's that's who they were playing in their skill group. Sure, You're, and it, look, it's a fair argument. Like and they the were Giants, other than at running back and at left tackle have no like plus plus players on that offense. Like Daniel Jones had by far his best season, but I, I do think we collectively are sort of overstating how good he was. Like they kind of Jimmy Garoppolo'd him, only he also has the mobility. Like he finished the season with, I think it was 15 touchdowns. And again, like he was efficient and he was doing what they asked him to do. And that's a credit to the coaches for knowing what they should ask Daniel Jones to do. But like He's not Daniel Dimes. He's like maybe Daniel Nichols. Like that's the quarterback. So like Dayball was worthy of consideration here. He was also on my short list. And if, you know, the 49ers hadn't done what they did, I think he would have been the choice for me. I just thought that what Kyle Shannon did with, again, it's not just that he's on his number three quarterback. I, his starter at the beginning of the year went down after, what was it? Like two yeah. weeks? Like, like they built the entire offense around this very singular talent had to pivot back to Jimmy Garoppolo, who they originally wanted to trade. And they were able to do that. And then, they, as we discussed earlier, they integrated Christian McCaffrey, almost immediately became one of the most dynamic weapons in the league. And then they had to pivot again to a seventh-round rookie from Mr. Iowa Relevant. State. I, I Literally think Mr. Relevant. Part of, part of what I'm dinging Kyle Shanahan for here, and it's not probably not fair, is – the infrastructure there was in place. Now, infrastructure he created because he's Kyle Shanahan and, mm -hmm. and it's been there yep. and they've been winning there and D'Amico Ryans is the DC and they've got the best group of skill guys in the league. But Brian Dable had to create it and he had to create it this year. And so I think going sure, from fair. 
Joe Judge and that nonsense and Dave Gettleman and that nonsense and and turning that around so quickly. It was why I thought Matt LaFleur had such a compelling case post McCarthy because that had gotten so toxic that for, for you to have to totally rebuild that thing is, I think, harder at the same time. I do see the other side of this with Kyle Shanahan. Like, no, no, the reason it was so easy this year is because they've done a really great job over the last five years of building it so that they could make this work and you could just put a button pushing quarterback in there and go in game. So I get it. It it is an interesting conversation. Any final thoughts here on these awards or anything else that you want to mention before we get out of here as we run way long? Yeah. What were your choices for executive of the year and assistant coach of the year? So my executive of the year was. John Lynch. Um, and and he has won this award in the past and I've been annoyed. I, I feel like I finally come to the point where I'm like, okay, like some of these guys, these getting to get someone like Palanoa Hufanga in the fifth round, Dre Greenlaw in the fifth round. Like I know it's not all this season, but then you make the Christian McCaffrey trade and you made the case for CMC, right? That mm-hmm. fundamentally changed what they've been able to be offensively. And doesn't he deserve some credit? I know they passed on him whatever six times, but he has to get credit for Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy is on this roster because he took him. I, like that was that is the answer to me. I think there were some other deserving candidates, but that was where I landed. It hurt me a little bit to land there because I've sort of been like, are we sure John Lynch is good? And yes, the answer is John Lynch is good. Yeah, for, for me, it was Howie Roseman. But when it comes to Lynch, part of the reason I have trouble giving him credit, and it's some of the same reasons that you just described, is I don't know how much of this is him, how much of this is Kyle Shanahan, right? Like Shanahan is very much at the top of that org chart, regardless of what is official. So I'm not, that, not saying that means that Lynch deserves no credit, but also like Shanahan has a hand in those personnel choices. Yeah. And w- with Roseman, like this was probably the most complete team and involved a lot of additions. And also, by the way, the Eagles are going to have a top 10 pick because they just looked at the Saints and, like, and said, oh, oh, you think that you're going to be good? Well, we know. We know that's not true. And they and Roseman set them up in such a way where if Jalen Hurts ended up having a really good season, then they just had a really good quarterback. If he didn't, they had the avenue with the extra draft pick to go get the guy in the upcoming draft. And now they're going to be able to add probably like what, like a, a top defender they might be able to add another offensive lineman like they're going to be able to to draft a hugely day one impactful player at least one that's potentially impactful on day one because Howie Roseman saw the chessboard and took advantage of it so I thought that he was a pretty strong choice Uh, I I saw other people make an argument for John Schneider because of how the Russell Wilson trade worked out and how Geno Smith played this year and sort of like that exchange I I actually found that compelling but I found Rose in their draft they had an incredible draft Oh, yeah. Like pretty much every member of that rookie class ended up becoming at least a capable starter right away or more or less right away. So I thought that was compelling. And then for assistant coach, and this will just continue with the 49ers theme here. I went with D'Amico Ryans. I, I suspect that was your choice as well. Not no. my choice. Oh, OK. So make the case for D'Amico Ryans and then I'll I'll, uh, I'll blow your mind here in a second. So if you watch the 49ers defense, and this was true last year as well. But if you and I, by the way, 49ers, I love D'Amico Ryans. He should be a head coach yesterday. But go ahead. Yeah. Well, we're about to talk about that in a certain way. So if you just saw the 49ers defense and you knew who the players were, you saw what they were scheming, what they were calling, and you just had no idea who was the defensive coordinator, who was the play caller, you'd assume this was like a 25-year coaching veteran. Like the little nuances, the way he sort of tweaks those coverages, you would have assumed this is a guy who's been doing this for the better part of his adult life. 
D'Amico Ryans has not been a coach of any in any capacity for a full decade. That is how ahead of the curve he is. Like D'Amico Ryans, to your what you what you just said, is ready to be a head coach. I never know if any of these guys are going to be head coaches just because the the market can be so unpredictable. But I feel like if he's not a head coach in 2023, it's because he didn't like the options available to him, not because he didn't have suitors from the teams with head coaching vacancies. I I look at it all together. And yeah, like there's a lot of credit as I just gave to Kyle Shanahan and that infrastructure. D'Amico Ryans took what was already a good defense. And I think actually with the same players improved upon it, like at least a little bit, like Robert Sal was a a really good defensive coordinator for them. I, I think Ryans is like a little bit better. And again, Ryan's has so much less experience at this point. Like imagine what he will be five years from now, whether it's, you know, a head coach of one of these vacant teams or a head coach of a different team or whatever. Like he is so far advanced of the coaching curve that we're looking at a guy that if things go well for him, could be one of just the best coaches, period, in a short amount of time. Okay. All of that is true. I will counter with Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, Hufanga, like all those guys. Like he he's got incredible pieces there as well. Eric Armstead, sure. like the forgotten guy, even he's really good. Sure, sure. I'm with Ben Johnson. Okay. The, the, I, I didn't consider him so seriously in the end because I, I thought that offense, while at its peak, was just phenomenal considering the actual things available to them. I thought that it like kind of faded like a little bit down the stretch. And again, part of that is like they didn't have the best options overall. Like the offensive line was good. But this is sort of like this is why the, like they were the they were fifth in DVOA with Jared Goff. The, here yeah, no, here are the quarterbacks on the on the teams ahead of the Lions. Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. They were sure. sixth in EPA per play. And like it's just and it's those it's that same group of teams plus Kyle Shanahan and Brock Purdy. So to get out of, and the, right behind them, it's Tua and Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill. It's uh, Trevor Lawrence right behind him. So it's like what they were able to do with Jared Goff at quarterback to make him not just passable, but good um, is remarkable. I, I loved so much of what they did schematically. I thought it was a great use of their personnel. Amon St. Brown had his best season. They were able to scheme guys open the fourth down calls. I just thought with the talent that he had to make this an elite offense with a talent that they had was pretty incredible. Oh, it was. I don't think that is unfair at all. Uh, ben Johnson, you know, get, sort of like D'Amico Ryan's in a certain sense, like we don't know for sure he's going to be head coach, but we expect him to have that option, which could be a problem for the Detroit Lions because they went from having the combination of Anthony Lynn and Dan Campbell himself as the play caller for most of 2021 to having Ben Johnson as the play caller for all of 2022. You know, maybe he finds his equivalent of Arthur Smith the way that like Mike Vrabel did with the Titans, but that's really, really hard to do. Like Ben Johnson is due a significant amount of credit for the line's success this year. And there's a good chance that they pay the price for it by him getting a head coaching job somewhere else. And speaking of guys that have not been coaches long now, he has been a coach for a while. He's been an NFL coach since 2012, but he's only 36 years old and he had never called plays until this season. So to be a first-time play caller and dial it up like this, I think it goes back to your coach of the year point. We usually pick the guy who is coming in and doing something new and changing things from what we saw. Um, and at least I think we were both consistent in this case. Like we both picked that that style in, sure. in each mm-hmm. in each side. So that makes sense. Jason, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for doing it. We will be uh, we will be back soon. Um, and it, before you know it, we'll have to do the uh, the Matt LaFleur, Brian Gutekind spit all over in August. By the way, people are asking us 
to be to have a um, a Brian Gutekunst Aaron Rodgers role play. I don't know. I don't know if that's something that that you know we we have we have in our bags, but you know, just something to think about. I refuse to get the haircut. I'm going to say it right now. I'm not getting any of the Aaron Rodgers haircut. I'll just to I'll, do the I'll do it. I'll buzz the side, and I can just I'll leave the top long. No, he he cut it. You actually have the Aaron Rodgers haircut right now. Oh no no yeah, right now it's not too different. I'm talking about like the ones that generated so much conversation. The the long long hair one and whatever we're calling that like slick back like half Ben Mac. Oh, there, there are some things that I could call it that are not going to make people happy, but yeah. Yeah, no, we'll not do it. You, there's not enough money in the world. No. All right. That's fine. That's fine. Jason, I appreciate your time. All right. Take care, Peter. All right. Thanks to Jason for joining the show. Love talking to that guy. Uh, one of my best friends, in addition to one of my favorite people to have on the show. Um, so that was fun. We will have plenty more content coming the rest of this offseason. Um, on the leap for sure. He will be back on the podcast, no doubt. And then we will have our our annual August conversation role play game where where I'm um Brian Gutekinds, he's Matt LaFleur. And uh we get to have those discussions about how this all works. So I, there's still so much to do, so much time to do it, which is great. And I'm I'm really excited about this offseason. Um, I've I've you know, you you come to terms with the season being over and then you you turn your focus. And I'm excited to get going on what we have in 2023 coming for you. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow Jason uh, by underscore JBH. Check us out on the leap um, substack that the leap or the leap dot And um, follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe anywhere you get podcasts. We are there for you and anytime you want to come hang out with us live news breaks something big happens we're going to be live on the locked on packers youtube page so you can stay locked on packers <laughs>